Hey everybody, welcome back to Low Code Approach. We are joined once again by Wendy Haddad. And this time we're going to talk about service management, being a service manager, and you know what does that mean for low code organizations? So Wendy, in our prior chat, you briefly touched on being a service manager in a prior lifetime. What What is a service manager for those that may not know, which is myself, uh, and what does that mean for organizations that have low code? So service management as a philosophy is the basically the approach to how you implement a product to be successful in an organization. And in this case, we're talking about IT and software products or eventually low code. And it, it can span everything from who are the executive stakeholders and how do you position the product to the how is it supported with operations to legal are you compliant with privacy laws with gdpr for example procurement right how do you position licensing and do your return on investment to justify that training and, and security uh, your adoption community how do you keep up with updates and evolve the product over time uh, i like to think of it as kind of that white glove service around the product right how do you make it clear what it needs to be done and how do you make sure that how, how do you make clear how it needs to be used and how do you make sure that that's communicated and supported successfully? The service manager is that person who is usually in IT but sits in between all of those other groups. So they're the one with the 50,000 foot view of the service. They're looking at the trajectory of where is the service going. And every one of those other groups, whether it's operations or legal or security, uh, may own a piece of the service or may influence a piece, but the service manager is working with them to ensure that all those boxes are checked, right, to make sure that that's successful. Very cool. So it sounds like it's almost the glue that binds all really? these other teams together. Is there a particular skill that a service manager should have or work towards to be successful uh, in an organization? Well, that's a good question. I definitely, I mean, there's definitely formal methods and informal methods of service management and, and different companies have their own style. I, I think really it's the ability to see the big picture. And, and like I said, that 50,000 foot view, but yet be able to get technical with your engineers or understand kind of the, the why. Uh, we might talk about this a little bit later in service management, especially when it comes to low code and security, because there's always that discussion there about how you roll it out. But, uh, you know, really having those soft skills around communication and understanding what motivates, you know, if you work with security, they have a very specific lens on the world or legal has another lens, but you have to keep the customer in mind as well. So being able to look at the whole picture and understanding the vested interests and in a way negotiate to find an ideate, to find the middle ground to make sure that you are meeting everyone's needs with the product. So there, there's a lot of people savviness that comes with the role. I mean, it sounds like a very big role and that plays in the success of, of adopting low code or, or pretty much like any technology in an organization. So during that, that adoption plan or that rollout, when does the service manager engage or when should an organization say, hey, I need to tap somebody on the shoulder to be a service manager or hire one? Or, you know, when does that person, you know, really come into play during that process? I would say that ideally in, an, in a perfect world, the service manager should be there from the get go. You know, sometimes in my past, there was a nebulous need 
Wendigo define the need and then recommend what the solution is. So sometimes they're the one figuring out what product actually fits. Other times you're, hey, Wendy, here's this product, you know, go, go figure out a strategy around adoption and support. And the earlier you can put the service manager in that process and engage them in, in addressing the need. And really it's, it's back to a need and not a product, right? So like with low code, the question is, is like, what is the need you're trying to solve for your business? We are solving it in our company with the Power Platform or with Azure or other, you know, Teams apps or other automation technologies. Other companies have other things, but really getting the service manage, manager involved early will help create that, that overarching vision versus I think sometimes a pitfall is the service management can be an afterthought. And this is changing, by the way. We're seeing like product management, for example, which can sometimes there's differences that sometimes overlap. And uh, just as I was leaving, they were actually rebranding the service manager roles in my prior company as product managers. Uh, we're seeing product management offices are starting to pick up, uh, you know, trend and, you know, have a, a PMO, right? A, a chief product manager or product officer, right? And if you inject them too late in the process, a lot of times the product is driving your strategy versus you as a company driving your strategy of what tools, what position, what features are actually the best fit. In a way, they're your insurance policy, right? They're, they're protecting you to make sure that, that you're using the technology well and, and you're using your investment well in the company. So the earlier you bring them in, the better. Very cool. That makes a lot of sense. You so you mentioned a little bit before that um, you know security and governance is, is a crucial part and kind of some oversight into how that fits into the plan. Uh, the, the service manager assists with that. Just you know dipping our toes into that part of it. When you think about percentage of time that a service manager allots to different aspects of that implementation and that rollout and adoption. How much is given to security and governance and, and, and management or assisting IT admins with the management of like low code? I was uh, security is huge and security is an interesting one because it, it security, I would say operations support are the two that kind of carry the themes that carry through all of your other work streams. So a lot of times when I'm talking to legal I'm also thinking about, well, how can I take your guidelines and make sure it's securely implemented? Does that align with our security policies? If I put something in place from a security policy, is that able to be supported by operations? So uh, uh, I'll tell you, a deep relationship with your security team is super important, especially in low code. It's, it's different because in low code, we're in an evolving space. We're really on the cutting edge of something here where many security policies don't really factor in low code or shadow IT. And so they may be overly restrictive. And really then you become in a way, again, that negotiation, that people skill, you you are a steward of the, the end user and the business being productive. And so you, you have to work with security to find that middle ground. And a lot of times that can be in training I've worked with security to say, okay, we'll do a training, but we need to include X, Y, and Z security policies in the training. So it's a security training plus loco training or finding those ways to negotiate there to ensure that the company is protected, but also have a voice back to security to help influence their policies that may not have evolved yet around low code and no code. 
That's a really interesting balancing act that you have between you know, the training, the enablement, the loosening of the restrictions that you know an IT admin may have with uh, the the immediate proposal of, of implementing low code in an organization. So because security and governance are so huge and there's a lot that goes into it, you know, do you have any recommendations or things that you've seen uh, for organizations that may not have the number of headcount that they want or need in IT, uh, where they've got to, you know, be crafty and, and use tools to their fullest to be able to implement governance, you know, and how can a service manager assist in helping IT with those types of plans or those types of um, resource restrictions that they may encounter? Yeah, I think that I mentioned this in the last podcast about the fact that the power platform is enormous and so much bigger than you think it is. But that doesn't mean you have to roll out every feature and every product all at once. Uh, Ultimately, that's where the greatest value is for your company. But if you roll it out poorly, it would be a poor experience for your users. And sometimes, you know, you might have more cleanup and more headache than it really is valuable, right? And so, Taking the time to roll it out well and and successful is very critical for the service manager. And so what that could mean is like we talked about last time, I think leveraging your environment strategy to say, okay, we're going to focus on Canvas apps and Power Automate Cloudflows. And then we're going to pick the next product where, you know, a service manager is always prioritizing. There's always a backlog. There's always things to do. So really being a steward of that to tell the user story of where is the most value, which product is next, how do we roll that out? I think another balancing act with security is, I think security as well, and this is some, this is why I started realizing that the Power Platform was so much bigger. Security tends to want to, you know, shut, shut it down or like, you know, we got to review every single app or we've got to review every, you know, every piece of the Power Apps and being able to break it into the smallest viable part, and this is where the, the technical side comes in as long as well as the people skills, to be able to wrap my brain around, okay, Power Apps has Canvas apps and SharePoint list apps and model-driven apps. Model-driven apps are more complex. I don't have as much demand right now, or maybe I do have more demand because you've got this super critical thing for Dynamics 365 to roll out. I've prioritized it, and I've given that list to help security manage their time. I've clarified the positioning. I've already kind of created a a rough structure for them of how I plan to manage it so that it's not just, hey, we want to roll out Power Apps. What do you think? You know, sets that up for success. So a little bit of legwork goes a long way on the service manager's part to help them say yes to the business rather than no or no, I don't have time to review it or something else. No, that's a good point. Like the, the prioritization is key. And and just like you touched on before, you know, Power Platform's huge, right? And so you're given these robust projects that you need to build and help build with. And some of them can deal with some really amazing technologies, especially the extensibility that's included in Power Platform, right? And that includes data in all sorts of places, right? How does the service manager work with IT admins to help ease any fears that there might be data leakage or concerns about, you know, is there any exposure of data or or risk um, when building out these apps? Or is, is that something a service manager would rely on another individual for? I would say that it depends on the organizational model. So, and even within my priority organizations, there were service managers who had a lot of influence and authority like I did. My scope was incredibly broad. 
whereas there's others who tend to be more narrow and more focused. So the authority structure really depends on the organization. For me, I tended to have that authority. And like I said, that 50,000 foot view is important. I may not know everything about Active Directory, for example, but I need to know enough about the technology and security groups and be able to educate myself as a service manager to know who I need to talk to, what I need to ask about. I regularly met with other service managers to understand that, you know, what's on their roadmap. I paid very close attention to what was happening in the other spaces. So I, I pretty much had a list like, okay, Power Platform can touch SharePoint, it can touch Teams, it can touch, and eventually I owned a lot of it. So it worked out to my advantage. But, you know, but if you didn't, right, it touches Active Directory and Azure, right? So what you do with Azure with, uh, you know, logic apps or Azure functions could affect my strategy. So again, going back to the, the soft skills, the ability to not be in a bubble, you know, to walk across the aisle to another pro- service or product manager, to walk across and say, hey, security team, what policies are coming down the pipeline that I need to be aware of? Uh, really being a master of information and information broker, if you will, in your company is super important to run ahead of that change and be able to help. And so in terms of, of the data, the data in the Power Platform lives wherever you actually have access the data, right? So if it's in SharePoint, it it lives in SharePoint. It's really gated in SharePoint, but I'm always keeping an eye on what's happening in SharePoint space or something else to be able to uh, make sure that it it wasn't impacting my strategy and my communications around what you could or could not do with the Power Platform. No, that makes sense. So, you know, it sounds like knowledge is uh, something that a service manager... Well, well, I mean, like the, the thing is like, not, yeah, right, knowledge is power, but like yeah. a, a service manager has to retain so much from so many different places. Yes. How does a service manager communicate that with their peers? Say there's another one, an, another service manager or a group of service managers in an organization. Is there any tips that you have for great communication or sharing of knowledge just to make sure that's not tribal knowledge it's actually documented somewhere and yeah i would love to know more about that yeah i mean again this will depend on your organizational structure is there a formal product service management approach or office or not where we were where i started it was very informal so i actually started doing a monthly call and i was originally starting that as a way for me to get information i would have a series of questions i would ask it was just going to be listening for him and then eventually people asked me questions back so i responded and it became like our roadmap calls here's what's happening and we had service managers join product managers we had our key stakeholders from executives uh, I think we got like, it was like 120 people by the end of that, but people talking and participating. And, you know, I went out on maternity leave and people saw value and asked me to start it up when I came back. So that was one forum. You know, when we were in office, it was a little easier. I always made a point of trying to use lunch breaks intentionally to make the rounds or, you know, meet with people. As things grew, we were just starting to roll out more like, okay, if we have maybe a SharePoint site with the product strategies or a power app with the product strategies in there, like a single location where we could standardize. And we actually were exploring power apps a little bit of, could we standardize on, here's the location of all of the roadmaps so that you could have a single location to go and see what's going on. And then I think some of it's proactively carving out time to review and thinking time. So I started a habit of, you know, starting work 6.30 or 7 just to have that hour and a half of thinking time 
before I got into the craziness of my day so that I can make sure I, I, that was my time to read what's going on, what is everyone else talking about, uh, be in the groups, et cetera. And then have your, have your people that you just check in with just say, hey, what's going on in your world? The last thing I'll just add is, you know, if I was making any kind of updates or a feature, like Power Platform, I think is probably one of the more complex products other than maybe Teams, maybe the second one in the sense that it's it's really the, the hub and the center of the wheel, right? So if you got all of these products around the outside, Power Platform has the spokes and, you know, you're, you're connecting all of them together, right? And I made sure that if there was a feature coming out about a product that I didn't own, I proactively let the other product managers know about it. Hey, this is happening in my product. That if you know there could potentially be a tie-in, just want to make sure you're aware. So by modeling that communication on my side, it was often reciprocated or we could open up a discussion and, and again, forging that relationship in the meantime. That's very cool. I, Wendy, totally off topic. Were you a mime in a prior life? You were super animated when you were doing your hub and spoke I know this is a podcast, but oh my goodness, there is no. But I'm I'm, I'm like a quarter French, so I think there's something in there, uh, in, in my blood or something that can be very expressive. Very cool. Oh, that was awesome. So, would you recommend um, that you know that type of communication and, and documentation uh, would be something that would reside in a center of excellence uh, as a way to 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 share? Yes, but we're, I mean, if we're talking about service management, this is this is like a meta center of excellence, right, for service managers. Absolutely. I think that as you grab, gain maturity in your organization, 100%, you need processes. And I, you know, I, I was studying um, Waterfall and, you know, the PMBOK and everything else. And, and there's some things that are overkill definitely in there. But there, the, the concept of having a standard way that people can can view and interpret and access information it is very helpful. Whether you apply that that mindset to Agile or other, you know, a center of excellence in SharePoint or something else, it doesn't really matter. But this, the agreed upon, and when I say agreed upon, I mean getting everyone to buy in, right? It's not always top down and successful, but you know, making sure that everyone has the ability to provide feedback uh, and makes the tool them their own. Uh, really is important for you to be successful in service management. Very cool. There's there's one takeaway that I think is is a, a constant theme throughout both of our chats is that Power Platform's huge, not only just in technology and, and technical skilling, but also in the uh, individuals and organizations that are involved with a successful deployment rollout and adoption of it. Uh, and it extends much further than you think when you're going to roll it out. Uh, hey, Wendy, thank you so much for your time on this. This was great. Love to have you back. Uh, we can chat more about all the things that you know. Um, this was fantastic. Thank you so much, Wendy. Always a pleasure, Sean.